It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. And here we go. What's up, Reds fans? Welcome into the Locked On Reds podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope this podcast is finding you well today. Maybe it's a Friday, a Saturday, Sunday, whatever day you're listening to this. Glad you are. Thought I'd start off real quick with a fun stat of the day, but just a reminder that today's podcast and every podcast throughout the month of May is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off your first order. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N at checkout for $10 off your first order. All right, so like I said, starting with a stat of the day. Just, you know, something that my mind runs with is baseball stats. And I was looking this up. The Reds' career leader in strikeouts is Jim Maloney. He has 1,592 strikeouts. Should Luis Castillo stay healthy and around his 162-game average of 213 strikeouts a year, and also given that we're looking at a short 2020, he should overtake that record around August of 2025. Now, I know there's there's a lot of variables in that, and a lot of things could go wrong. A lot of things could go even more right, because that's assuming just, you know, numbers-wise that he stays close to 213. He had more strikeouts than 213 just last year, so who knows? Maybe that average goes up. Maybe he gets it quicker. Hopefully, he still stays healthy, and we're not talking about what could have been, but man. Love Luis Castillo. Can't wait to see him play. Here in just a moment, uh, we got a couple of things we're going to talk about today. I'm looking at the DH, who the Reds DH might be. I've got a couple of thoughts on that. Also want to talk about a text I received on the Locked On Reds line regarding Jack Bellingham. We'll get to all of that here in just a minute. But I also noticed, and shout out, I got a tweet at Locked on Reds regarding the dispute between the owners and the players. And a shout out to at RC Sprague writer on Twitter. He said, Are you kidding me? Fans shouldn't be on the player's side or the owner's side. Fans want winning franchises and championships. A salary cap would benefit a team like the Reds. They wouldn't lose great players to teams with deeper pockets. Get some perspective. All right, so that's fair. I appreciate the tweet talking about from a fan's perspective. Yes, there's really not much more that we can do except want teams who win championships and do awesome stuff because when it comes to this negotiation, we're not really in this. I mean, 
There's the whole idea that the owners have thrown this out to put the pressure on the players because eventually, now that it's all out in the public, fans will get antsy and fans will start to get very upset. And it makes the players look bad because the owners are the ones who extended the olive branch to begin with. But that's exactly why I don't like this. Look, here's the thing. When you look at this situation from a player's perspective, they are represented by the most powerful players' union in professional sports. I've said that a couple of times now. But it's true. When you look at this negotiation, the owners had to take that into account whenever they presented it had to know that that players' union was never going to agree to a 50-50 revenue split. I know that the proposal they came out with really is only supposed to be for this year, but who in their right mind is taking this in a vacuum? No one believes that the owners are just going to cut that off at the end of this season and, oh, hey, we'll go back to willy-nilly because there's a collective bargaining agreement coming up. And this is perfect posturing. If you introduce a revenue split now, then the players are looking at a salary cap in 2022. That's just how that is. And they have fought tooth and nail back in 1994-95 and fought ever since then to keep the labor peace that now the owners have really just blown that all up. So from a fan's perspective, yes, I do understand that it really doesn't make sense to take sides. But the fact of the matter is... Fans are not going to be the ones that decides this. It's about the players or the owners. And if I'm looking at who I want to win, I want us to win and get baseball, but we're not going to get baseball with a revenue split. This is not going to happen. The players are not going to take that in any way, shape, or form. And the owners knew that when they put that in the proposal, but hey, here we are. They're negotiating, and there's a war of words going on between the two of them, probably behind the scenes. It's like I saw, I was reading a uh, tweet thread by Trevor Bauer. I've shared it on the Locked On Reds Twitter account, but I was reading that Twitter thread and then some of the responses on it, and there was some guy that was just like, I wish this would have all just kept private. And Trevor agreed with him. He's like, we wanted it to stay private, but the owners are the ones who took it public. Never forget that. I, they're trying to make the players look as though they are the bad guys. They are not the bad guys. We're going to keep talking about that more. I've got some... Guests lined up next week and some ideas that we're going to be looking at. But I want to jump into a couple of fun things. First of all, let's look at the DH because that's something that should the players and the owners figure out the pay structure and also the safety structure. That's a big one too, but just not as grabby as a headline that most people are looking at. But when they get that figured out and we get baseball back, we're getting a universal DH. And look. I know. We, 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 we talked about this before. We've thrown around the idea, well, the National League and DH, and I'm not sure about it, but it, it's coming. It, it's been coming for a very long time, and it's finally going to be here. How does that benefit the Reds? Well, I think it benefits them in a couple of ways, and there's a couple of ways that you can approach this. You can approach it from the mindset of we can improve the defense by getting a not-so-good defender off the field, but keeping him in the lineup. I'm looking at our good buddy Jesse Winker. He was not great defensively. In fact, if you go to Baseball Savant, and you look up their new metric, the outs above average defensive metric. Look, I'm, I'm going to be frank with you. I'm still a novice when it comes to understanding defensive statistics. But I like this one because it seems easy enough to understand. 
it's kind of like wins above replacement. How good was the defender according to the average defender? And no matter what qualifier you put, how many attempts, whether he was a qualified defender, whether he only had 10 defensive opportunities, Jesse Winker had the lowest outs above average on the Reds last year. Negative eight. He was less than, he was, he was worse than an average defender by a pretty wide margin. So you put him in the DH, you keep his bat in the lineup, because that'd be pretty good, I, I would think. And that's a great addition when you take out the pitcher spot and you keep him in there, and then you're putting Philip Irvin in left field a lot more. You're putting maybe Aristides Aquino in there a lot more. You've got Nixon Zell, Shogo Akiyama, plenty of options. And that was really the popular response to the Reds getting a designated hitter is, oh, now the log jam in the outfield is a little bit easier to figure out because you can technically play four outfielders. You just don't have to put four of them in the field. You only have to put three of them in the field. So I do like that perspective. My first thought, though, when it came to DH was not necessarily from the defensive perspective or even from the outfield perspective. It was from an individual perspective for Joey Votto. It could extend his useful, uh, the number of useful at-bats that you're going to get from him a little bit longer. Because we all know he's in to the point of his career where decline is just a thing. You know, he joked about it last spring training, wearing the t-shirt of decline phase and all this other stuff. And it's like, oh, he's self-deprecating. That's kind of funny. That's Joey's style. And we, and we all love that. The fact of the matter is that's not going away. He's going to continue to go through the decline phase. So one way, and, and I really didn't, I really wasn't able to find what I was looking for because I was trying to figure out what a National League hitter, how he benefits from going to the National League to the American League and becoming a DH. And the only one that I could really find, at least that had not hit the final years of his career, was Giancarlo, don't call me Mike Stanton, whenever he first went to the Yankees. Yeah, I know as far as health goes, that's really not a great comparison. But his first full year with the Yankees, mostly as a designated hitter, was pretty awesome. It was a marked departure from what he did a year ago because the year before that he was the National League MVP. We're still mad about that though because it should have been Joey Votto. Whatever. We're not going to get into all that right now. But he still had a pretty solid year going from outfield in the National League to designated hitter in the American League. And you can imagine, you know, now that we're getting a universal DH, we can get rid of the American League part. It's just going from a fielder to a designated hitter. How does your offensive value change? And it doesn't get much worse, at least when you look at his statistics. He does fall off in home runs and his OPS plus is down a little bit, but he's still well above an average hitter. So I, I don't know. When it comes to looking at Joey Votto, maybe extending his career, taking away the aspect of uh, going out and playing defense and things like that, maybe he does get a little bit better. It could be a huge boon if you take fielding out of the equation. As far as his defensive prowess, that's neither here nor there because according to outs above average, he, he had one out above average. So he was just a little bit better than average, but he wasn't worse. Than average, So it's not as if you are hurting the defense by keeping him out there. You are kind of hurting the defense if you keep Jesse Winker out of there. But that's just my thoughts on the DH. Coming up, I've got a great look at Jack Billingham. And a shout-out to Risto in Florida for getting me going on that. But first, I wanted to point out our brand-new sponsor for the month of May, 
Built Bar. Built Bar has the best tasting bar on the market. So many different flavors. You've got it. You got to check them out at BuiltBar.com. Just an absolute Netflix-like list of great flavors. You have all kind of peanut butter and chocolate. You've got uh, German chocolate cake, banana nut bread, and if you have a nut allergy, they have a dedicated plant that processes their protein bars without any sort of machinery that comes into contact with nuts. So you can trust them to be completely allergen-free with things like mint chocolate cream, double chocolate mousse, lots of great chocolate flavors. You just got to try them. They are so good. And for the main bar that you could probably think of when you think of a protein bar, you're probably thinking about Cliff Bar. But Built Bar has half of the calories, seven times less of the carbs, and seven times less sugar than Cliff Bar does. So you're getting great taste and it's healthy for you as well. And today you can go to builtbar.com and at checkout, enter promo code LOCKED ON, that's L O C K E D O N, to get $10 off your first order today. Go to builtbar.com. Promo code LOCKED ON at checkout for $10 off your first order. This podcast is also sponsored by the audiobook edition of 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. In this reflective and inspirational memoir, the legendary Willie Mays shares the inspirations and influences responsible for guiding him on and off the field. Widely regarded as the greatest all-around player in baseball history, the beloved Willie Mays offers people of all ages his lifetime of experience meeting challenges with positivity, integrity, and triumph. This special audiobook production includes a foreword read by Bob Costas and a bonus conversation with Willie Mays and his co-author John Shea. Whether you're missing seeing your favorite players on the field this season or you're just looking for the perfect Father's Day gift, 24 is the inspiring story of one of sports fans' favorite living legends. Buy the audiobook edition of 24 now wherever audiobooks are sold. Friend of the show, Risto, texted into the Lockdown Reds line. That's 513-549-0159. And he said, hey, Jeff, many podcasts ago, you asked us listeners which former Red we would like to hang out with. Yesterday, I was listening to the podcast series Building the Machine, shout out to Red Leg Radio, and thought of one player from the 72 to 77 era who I would like to sit and have a beer and a cigar with and listen to his stories about Sparky and the Great Eight and enjoy his dry humor. That would be Jack Billingham, good old boy from Florida like me. And that would be pretty awesome. I mean, Jack Billingham, he had a very interesting path just reading about him because, like I've mentioned to you guys before, I'm a little bit uh, deficient when it comes to having firsthand knowledge of the Big Red Machine, but I do always love going back and reading up on some of the players and stuff. And and before he got to Cincinnati and got to be the pitcher who had the lowest World Series ERA at .36, he only allowed one run in 25 and a third innings. Of course, that was until Madison Bumgarner and the Giants and all that crap, and now Bumgarner owns that record. But for the longest time, Jack Billingham was the lowest World Series ERA. Before he did all that, he wasn't even drafted. 
to get into the major leagues. He was signed with the Dodgers because the Dodgers had a minor league team in Orlando. Jack Billingham grew up in Winter Park, Florida, and he was able to sign with the Dodgers so that he could be close to home. He then spent the next couple of years there in Orlando. But then in 1964, he was going to be promoted to Santa Barbara and go all the way to California. It kind of hit him, though, because at that time, he was engaged. He was getting ready to be married. And he was making 450 bucks a month as a minor league player. And he just contemplated quitting. He's like, you know, I want to get married. And this is kind of taking a toll as far as how much money, not really making much money. And he went in and he talked to Fresco Thompson in charge of the farm system. A few days after the call, Thompson came through and boosted Billingham's pay to 500 bucks. I mean, that's pretty nice. But he also did something else. He transferred him to St. Petersburg. That way he could continue to play minor league ball, but still be close to home. And he got married. And that sure is a thing, isn't it? Being nice to a player. And actually, he rewarded them with really great production in St. Petersburg. Went 7-3 and with a 103 ERA over 105 innings there in 1964. And then later went on to winter ball and all that other stuff. But he was a pretty good pitcher. And part of it was his comfort. They actually considered his own needs outside of the game of baseball. They weren't treating him just as a number and it paid off in spades and he ended up getting to promoted and he was mostly used as a relief pitcher at this point. But Jack was acutely aware of just how fortunate he was the quote. And this is on saber.org saber love saber. Uh, my first year, was with Orlando, and then the next year I went to St. Pete. I was a young, immature kid who hadn't been away from home much. That was a good start, to break into a pro baseball program and have mom still be able to cook me dinner. Yeah, I can imagine that'd be pretty awesome because, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of stories from even some of the greatest players in baseball history. Like, I remember King Griffey Jr. went through a bout of depression after he was drafted because he was away from, he was so far away from home and he'd never been away from home at that point. But Jack Billingham then, you know, committed himself to continue to develop in 1967. After the 1967 season, he developed an overhand curveball and got the call up to the majors for the Dodgers. His first appearance came on April 11th in 1968, and Los Angeles was actually down three to nothing to the Mets, and it was in the bottom of the eighth. There was a runner on second with one out, and they brought Jack into the game. He then proceeded to get a ground out and a strikeout to end the inning. He didn't allow a run until his seventh appearance of the season. So his first six appearances, completely scoreless. And at one point, there was a headline, I believe it was in, the Chicago, in a Chicago paper after the Dodgers had beaten the Cubs in one particular game. They called him the ace of the Dodgers bullpen. And another great story from that rookie year, his first start, he was mostly used out of the bullpen and he only got one start in 1968. But that one start was a heck of a story. He was told about it three hours before the game. They were playing against Pittsburgh. He then proceeded to pitch eight innings of shutout ball. And had it not been for the fact that the Dodgers didn't score a run while he was pitching, he would have got a win. The Dodgers ended up winning an extra innings. They didn't even get a run till the 10th but an amazing first start for him and you know that's that's really kind of a launching point when you look at the fact that he jumped from relief pitcher to starting pitcher 
But then it was interesting because the Dodgers didn't protect him. And the next year, there was an expansion draft, and the Expos selected Billingham in the 10th round. So then he goes to Montreal. But he's not in Montreal for very long because the Expos attempted to make a trade where they would send Don Clendenen, which never heard that name before, but they would send Don Clendenen to Houston for Rusty Staub. But Don Clendenen did not want to go to Houston and, in fact, refused to report if he were actually to be traded. So Bowie Kuhn told them to fix it and basically told Montreal to send cash and a couple of players to Houston for Rusty Staub instead. And Jack Billingham ended up being one of those players. So he never pitched for Montreal, even though he was picked by them in the expansion draft. And I pretty sure Montreal at least expected to get some 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 sort of value out of him on the field that didn't happen though because then he goes to Houston where he pitched decently well as a reliever in 1969 but then in between 69 and 70 decided to change to a sidearm delivery he noticed that he wasn't really the type of guy that was a relief pitcher in fact he had a quote about that I started out as a reliever in the big leagues, and I enjoyed that role because I could throw every day. But I didn't know if I had the makeup to be a reliever, which is to be an aggressive, growling person. I'm more of a laid-back type. I was traded to Houston as a reliever and was semi-successful for a year and a month. Then manager Harry Walker asked me in 1970 if I could start, and I said, yeah, sure. And that's how he got to be a starting pitcher. He changed to a sidearm delivery and realized who he was. And one more interesting note, before he was traded to the Reds, he was actually in the market. He and his wife and two kids were looking to buy a house there in Houston. And while they were searching, they got notified that he'd been traded to Cincinnati. And then, you know, we know how Jack Bellingham was from there. A fun thing, though, after he was traded to Detroit by the Reds, Sparky Anderson was quoted as saying, he said, a manager may not be supposed to have favorite people, but Jack Bellingham was one of my favorites. He is a tremendous guy and a super person. And that just had me thinking. I appreciate that, Risto. Like, looking back at Jack Bellingham, I always thought that was one of, like, the coolest names in baseball. I mean, that just sounds awesome saying that you know you can imagine the United Jack Billingham coming out on to the mound yeah I don't know whatever that's just goofy anyway thanks so much for listening to today's podcast coming up next week we've got a lot of great content Steve Offenbaker will be back we'll be talking about some more evaluations of players gonna have Doug Gray on as well we're gonna be looking at a bunch of different things you're not going to want to miss it. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on all the many podcasting platforms. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three F's and follow the show at Locked On Reds. Also, save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0159. That's going to do it, though, for the Locked On Reds podcast today. Now, tell your smart device to play Locked On MLB. Thanks, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.